There we go. So what I want to do, how many have been aware that there's a big issue going on at the moment about changes to the law? There's about, about a half the church. I don't know, I wonder where the other half live. <laughs> but uh, we just need to, uh, what I felt to do is because this is an area which has got a lot of emotion in it, I want to just give some help and some perspective to it. So I want to talk about this whole issue of the smacking issue or whether to smack or not to smack, but it's a lot deeper than that. What I know will happen is a lot of people get a lot of emotions, and they'll jump up and down, and they say all kinds of things, and then key issues will be lost in the middle of it. So what I want to do is I want to just look at what's about to happen, how it affects us, and then I want to just talk with you just and get some biblical perspective. Because if we don't come from a Bible framework, basically the framework you come from and your thinking is, well, a couple of wet back wax didn't do me any harm, so I would do my kids any harm. See? Now, most people, that's how they think. But this is not what the issue is really about, about what did you harm or didn't do you harm. From a Christian perspective, we need to understand what God says. If you don't know what God says, then, well, you'll have your opinions. And the question is whether you want to run your life out of opinions or whether we want to run our life out of revelation, what God says. And what I tend to find is Christians have a heap of opinions so if their parents didn't smack, well, they say, well, you don't need that. You know, you can be a great person without that. Their parents did smack. They say, it never hurt me. And uh, so there's all these kind of opinions. But what is seldom brought to light is what, what does God have to say about this matter? <clears throat> the Bible has a lot of things to say about it. And I found generally Christians tend to get uh, very emotional so that some will jump up and down about the law change and miss the point completely. And so what I want to do is to help just get some perspective on it and uh, we'll look at some things. So let's first of all look at Romans chapter 13, and uh, just so we get a little bit of overall perspective. And uh, verse uh, 1 through to the first three or four verses, and it says, Now let every soul be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except of God. And the authorities that exist have been appointed or are appointed by God. So whoever resists the authority resists what God has ordered. And those who resist then will bring judgment upon themselves. For rulers or authorities are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what's good, and you'll have praise from the same. Now look at this statement. For he is God's minister to you for good. That's a hard one to swallow, but it is true. He is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. Hello, dear. How are you? It's lovely to have you at church. I would like you just to go back over there, just in that area over there, and sit just over there. Someone who bought her would like to just help her to just sit over there so it's not a distraction to everyone who's here. Okay? There we go. Thank you. All right then. So let's read on now. For he is God's minister to you for good. If you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is God's minister. Notice how this minister, authorities are God's minister. And that's mentioned about three times. It's hard to think, so you think of a minister, you think immediately someone up on a stage, a preacher or something. What's hard for us to understand is that God has got many ministers. When you meet a policeman, he's God's minister. So that's a hard one to swallow. Unless you understand how God has ordered things and set things up and what he requires of us. Okay? So that's what, it's, we want the bigger picture. So one of the things is that God has a role for government. God, the government's role is basically stewardship and protection of the people and the nation. So one of the major mandates of government is that they should protect the nation. And one of the things that uh, happens in a nation is when the character of a nation decreases, 
when the character of a nation, character is connected to our ability to be responsible people. When our ability to be responsible decreases, we become irresponsible, our character declines, inevitably the government will bring in more rules and regulations. It's just a matter of how it works. See? For example, the ability to have freedom depends on you being responsible. So if you're irresponsible enough, eventually you lose your freedoms. And if you're really irresponsible, then they put you in jail, and then you don't even have the freedom to turn your light on and off, eat when you want, come in and go out. Someone does it all for you. Irresponsibility leads to loss of freedom. Responsibility leads to increasing freedom. This is just a principle. And so when a nation goes into spiritual decline and their personal character declines and they just want to do what they want to do, inevitably the nation becomes more irresponsible and then government brings in laws. And so we should not be up in arms and jumping up and down about government invading the home. You have to see there's a bigger picture here. And I want to show you how to fit within the bigger picture and to have a good perspective on it all. Otherwise, you'll be jumping up and down and uh, at times may even look a bit silly about it. New Zealand has an appalling record in the area of abuse of children. In terms of the United Nations hit list, uh, we're, about, we're near the bottom uh, for the area of welfare and safety of children. In other words, there's, there's more risk to people or children in New Zealand of abuse and violence than there is in many nations of the world. That is appalling. Yeah, we say we're a free nation, great nation, beautiful nation to come, and yet you read the stories of children being beaten, being abused, and being violently put to death, the most horrendous stories. This does not happen all over the world. And so from the United Nations list of Western countries particularly, we are well down in terms of care of children. It's an embarrassment to the nation and an indication of the decline of the nation. And it's inevitable in that environment people want to bring laws to try and regulate it. Of course, as we're well aware, you can't change what people are doing by passing another law. And as we'll see, the, the, the proposal that's there at the moment is to repeal Section 59 of the Crimes Act. And it says something like this, every person in a place of a parent of a child is justified in using force by way of correction towards that child if the force used is reasonable in the circumstances. That's the provision at the moment. What they're planning to do is remove that. And uh, one of the reasons for removing it is, of course, the bigger picture of the abuse right through the nation. And, of course, many parents have actually abused their children and then hidden behind that law and have got off actually being held to account for their abusive behavior. And so the government's response or knee-jerk response or a philosophical response, basically they want to change the law. They want to remove now that provision for a parent. Let's read again. Every person in place of a parent of a child, that the parents, are justified in using force by way of correction towards the child. In other words, it's saying you can use physical force to correct a child provided the force is reasonable. Now, what they're doing is taking all that away. And, of course, there's going to be a lot of uh, dilemmas. The proposals won't change this, but what they will do will mean that uh, good parents will then be turned into criminals uh, by the use of force against their children in any kind of way. This is huge implications. And uh, I have looked up some of the articles that have been written about it, and uh, the proposed change won't solve the problem. What it'll mean is that if you as a parent want to spank your child, 
Any neighbor who notices, any teacher who notices or hears about it, your child reports to anyone, the police will be required to investigate. And the result of that is they will be required by law to act if a complaint is made. Now, you can understand the tremendous distrust this will produce in our society. It's very, very bad. And the law won't stop those who are doing this doing this. All the law will do is make criminals out of the ones who are acting responsibly. And uh, this is where a huge issue is. Now, uh, of course, it will place the child in the same position as an adult. And we need, this is the bit I want you to understand. And I want us to be jumping up and down about government passing laws. This is relatively ineffective. I want you to understand what God wants us to, uh, uh, to, how he wants us to respond in the midst of a situation like this. Otherwise, you'll be the smacking group, the non-smacking group. Everyone will argue, come up with their experts and whatever, and they do all this kind of arguing. Uh, we do a survey. No one wants the law changed. The government changes the law. We know how it goes, and we've seen it already on a number of times, that the government actually has its own philosophy. philosophy. I've got it. They have their philosophical base. They have their own philosophy. They have a belief system upon which they make laws. Now, this is the bit that I want to get you to. Is I want you to understand why it is a Christian believes certain things and what the issues are for a Christian. Because you'll jump up and down about someone taking away your rights when God is more interested in you accepting your responsibilities. So what people will tend to do is jump up and down about invasion of their home and their rights by the government and the rights to do this. They get all angry about my rights being taken away. But what they won't do, and this is the thing we need to do, is look at what our responsibilities are and be sure that we fulfill our responsibilities rather than just jump up and down about the rights. Should we say something? Yes, we should. Should we stand up? Yes, we should. But don't stand up over the wrong issues. And when you do talk with people about this, because it's going to be a big talking issue, you need to know what to say. You need to know where you stand. Unfortunately, there are many people in the church who actually do not, they're not good parents. They have no understanding of God's purpose for them as parents, no understanding of God's design for the raising of children and how that should be done. They operate primarily out of well, this is how I was raised, didn't me too, do me too harm, much harm, it should be okay for my kids. Listen, that's, when you become a Christian, your reference point is God and his word and eternity, not the old way you used to do stuff. In other words, we don't, uh, we don't <clears throat> when we come to Christ, we're introduced to a kingdom, a king, and his purposes and plans and principles and ways of going about things. Now, of course, we bring cultural baggage. So if you're a, West, a white person, Pakiha uh, or whatever, you, you'll bring in a certain kind of approach to this. If you're from a Maori or a tribal culture of any kind, you bring in another kind of approach. But these are not what is relevant. What is really relevant is we find what God says, his principles, and then we learn how to apply them. And in doing so, you will always stand against the culture. And you'll always do things the culture will disapprove of. And you have to decide in your heart whether you're called to represent Christ and be an ambassador for the kingdom or you're just going to copy the crowd and go with the crowd. In the Maori people, the level of abuse of children is horrific. And I, I am appalled at the lack of Maori voices speaking up about it. See? It's a huge issue. And, but it's a covered issue because the predating thought is, well, this is our, we have our way of dealing with it. 
So this is not acceptable. We need to see what God says about it and understand that children become demonized when they're abused, either by physical or sexual abuse or, or emotional abuse or anger. They're hurt. The next leg we leave a bad legacy for the next generation. And we've got to be nation builders, legacy imparters. So we've got to think a little differently about the children we're raising up, what we're doing with them, and what, we ought, and what God calls us to do. So if you don't understand what God called you to do, you will just follow your own opinions or the prevailing voice of the experts. And what you find is the experts aren't experts. The only, thing I know, the only one I know is an expert is the Holy Spirit. And, and he's written words down here which tell us how to do life. And if we don't follow him and follow the word of God, we'll listen to a whole lot of so-called experts. Now, I believe we need to learn, but what you've got to understand is many of them actually do not come from a biblical way of thinking. They come from a different uh, base of thinking. Philosophy is a base of thinking. And they produce different results to what God wants. So what you'll find is there's a lot of things you can read about that are actually really helpful, but, and you, but often they miss the key point. And so what I want to do is I just show you a few things from Scripture. I want to help you see what is a key base difference between the way a believer would approach the issue of child raising and a person who's a non-believer. And this, this is foundational. It's actually at the core of how you see the whole deal. And parents today have been totally disempowered. See, one of the problems with this law, it will lift up uh, children and put them almost on a par with adults, and it will make it very difficult for parents to actually do the job God called them to do. So this law will, in effect, although it's come supposedly with good intentions, have some terrible consequences. Now, but I don't want to worry about that so much, because laws come and laws go, governments rise and governments fall. It's more that we in the middle of it actually think according to God's way. Does that make sense? Okay then. So, what I want to do there, we'll just have a look here in this verse here. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except of God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So firstly, I want to look at God's mandate to parents. God's purpose and mandate for parents. You need to understand why you're a parent. Well, your parents have kids, and we raise the kids, and they get off, and then we have... We retire, and then we die, and then they carry on. Listen, is that all there is? I mean, I've spent a whole two months trying to get us to realize that whatever God does is for eternity. Okay? So we need to understand that when you have children, you're bringing an eternal being into this world, and you need to understand how to go about fulfilling your responsibility. When you come home from the hospital with a wonderful little child, you now have a responsibility and a mandate from God, and we need to know what God says about it. So... Uh, God has a purpose for parents. He has a responsibility he entrusts to you. And with that responsibility, he gives you certain authority to act. Okay, so God calls every person, adults and children, to come under his authority. The core of sin is, I want to run my life my way. That's sin. We tend to think of sin as being, well, breaking, you know, killing, murdering. That's all sin. But then sin is deeper than that. Sin is actually, I don't want anyone, especially God, or any of his representatives, to tell me what to do with my life. I want to be the sole source of what I will do. I want to run my life my way with no accountability to any person. I want to be able to do what I want to do. That is freedom for this generation. Now, you see, that's what the Bible calls sin and lawlessness. God won't tolerate it. So, 
So God has, has devised and formed several structures in society. Number one, family. Number two, the church. Number three, government. Number four, business. Business. Business all through the Bible. God's all into business. But there are certain principles and responsibilities in the governing of a business. The Bible's full of that as well. What a worker should do, <clears throat> their responsibilities, what an employee's responsibilities are, and their authority. Uh, parents, parents have responsibilities. So we're going to look at your responsibilities in a moment. And uh, children also have responsibility. If you're a child, God speaks to you directly, and he gives you certain responsibilities. And what's wonderful, he says, if you will fulfill these responsibilities, there's certain things I can guarantee will happen in your life. Okay then, so God calls parents. He, he has invested us with authority. Notice what it says, let every soul. How many are left out of that one? No one, no one left out. Let every soul be subject to higher powers. That word subject means this. It means to position yourself under an authority, following their direction, so together you can accomplish a common task. It's to place yourself under someone God's put over you with a view to cooperating and getting a task done. So when the Bible tells children to be subject to their parents, it's saying put yourself voluntarily under their leadership because they have a task, they have something God's given them to do, and it can only take place if you will respond to their leadership in your life. Okay? So everywhere in, everywhere in life it's got to operate that way. So parents have authority. You know why a parent has authority? You have an authority because God gives it to you. And the government can't take it away. God has given you an, a responsibility to fulfill, and with that, authority, the legal right to speak and act. That's what authority is. It's delegated to you from God. You have the responsibility to do certain things with your children, and then God gives you the right to speak and act on his behalf to make that happen. You have to understand that it is God gave you the authority as a parent. God gives you the responsibility as a parent. So when the government or any kind of civic authority tries to alter the standing of a child and put a child on the same standing as a parent, they violate God's basic order. Because God has said something like this, parents, you're in charge. You pay the way, you're in charge. Parents are in charge. So if you're a parent, you are to be in charge. Now, that one thing alone, we'd have a whole heap of problems with many people, often many of them out of Havelock, I've noticed, have a real trouble understanding, parents, you're in charge. You're in charge of your children. We've had many debates and arguments with parents who don't realize they're in charge of their children. God has given you that responsibility. And if he gave you the responsibility, he expects you to perform it. He gives you the ability and grace to perform it. And he expects of you that you give account for what you've done. You cannot yield up something God entrusted to you and put it in the hands of another. You need to be involved with your children, involved in what God calls you to do. And I'm going to show you two major things that God tells parents very clear. Some things he tells us very clearly what to do. Let's have a look in Deuteronomy. Uh, 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 let's have a look in Genesis 18:19. I have chosen Abraham. I know him. He will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord. See, notice what it says, Abraham, I know, and I've chosen Abraham, I know him, I know what he's like. He will command his children and his household after them, and they will keep the way of the Lord. Isn't that a wonderful verse? To do what's right and to do what's just. Isn't that a wonderful God's mandate to a parent? 
So notice here with Abraham, God said he will command his children. And what are you going to command them? Not to just do what he wants them to do. See, parents, you've got to understand this. When God gives you the authority uh, to lead your family, it's not to just do what you want to do. It's not just not that you'll just do as you please. If you do as you please, you're modeling what it is to be a lawless person. We're not to do as we please as parents. We're actually to teach the kids to walk right. Because they're an inheritance of the Lord. There's something we're raising up for the Lord. They go on either. Listen, your child that's born is an eternal being who will go on into heaven for eternity or go on into hell for eternity. And you're the one who has the greatest influence in forming them. And so he says, I know Abraham. He will command. He will give clear direction, clear leadership. And he will require his household to walk in a certain way. What way? To do what's right and to act justly. And to keep the ways of God. So Abraham, the father of our faith, was a man who gave direction to his household and directed them in godly ways. Parents, you are charged with directing your household. You're charged with giving direction. And that will require setting boundaries. It will require establishing relationship. It will require setting requirements out. You've got to do this. This is part of what it is to fulfill God's mandate to you. See, God has given you that responsibility. Deuteronomy 4, uh, 6, verses 4 to 6. If I was to ask you, what is the great command? You say, I shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. Well, of course, that's only a little part of it. You read the rest of it. You shall love the Lord your heart and all your soul, verse 5, and with all your soul and all your strength. And the words I command you will be in your heart. And you will teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You'll bind them as a sign on your hands, writing on your hands, and on the doorpost. In other words, he's saying, parents, he said, you're called to passionately love God, and then you're called actually to raise up, train, direct, and cultivate an environment where your kids will be followers of God as well. So there's a responsibility in the first commandment not just to love God passionately, but to express it in what we do within our family. The first place we see your love for God is in your family, in your marriage and with your children. Make no mistake about it. You may be very good in business or very good in ministry, or very good at this or that. But if you're failing at home, you're failing your primary mandate. The primary mandate. The first one. In the marriage... And in the family, you have a mandate from God. You have a responsibility from God, something you're expected to fulfill. And you need to know what it is and understand how to do it. So no government regulation rule changes or swerves you from what you ought to do. I know how these things work. I've been in education. I went down to a school thing just recently, and uh, they were telling us, they wanted parents to come meet and hear about the latest thing. Okay, I've got the latest thing that they're doing. And the latest thing apparently was phonics. I said, well, isn't this a lovely thing? 30 years ago, I battled with the department over phonics. They said phonics is out. I argued with them and says it works, and we're not putting it out. We're keeping it. And we had all kinds of contentions over it. And uh, I said, well, who's going to help the children that you all mess up on the way with your new fancy program? And, you know, 20 to 30 years later, we've got a whole generation don't read too well, and part of it is the programs they bought in that were at the wisdom of the experts. And I almost put my hand up and said, this new program was a proven program 20 to 30 years ago. It was taken out by experts, and you're bringing it back in. Here's my question. Who will put their hand up and say we were wrong? I have no confidence in the experts. 
confidence in the word of God. You've got to think that way. You're a Christian. You think your orientation is how God says it to be. Okay then, so keep going. Then we read, so notice here the responsibility. Now look at this in Ephesians 6 verse 4. Ephesians 6 and verse 4. Fathers. Now does this mean mothers not clear? No, fathers. Uh, God speaks to fathers because he, he puts the responsibility right at the top. Fathers called to be the head of the home, head of the wife, and as a partner they work together. And that part of the responsibility of husband and wife, of course, is to raise their children. You can't raise your children right unless you're in agreement and cultivate your marriage relationship where it overflows to raise the children right. If you don't cultivate your marriage, then you don't bear a witness that God's ways work. You're actually a living excuse for sin. Don't be surprised if your kids rebel. Okay, notice what it says here, verse 4. You fathers. Okay then, you fathers. Now, uh, mothers, you can listen in with this, but realize the mandate's given to dad. and You share the mandate together because God brought the woman to work with the man as a partner in life for him. So fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Don't get them angry. Well, I won't go down all the reasons you get them angry, but one of the ways you get them angry is you, you lash out at them or you, you try to discipline them with anger and frustration or you're not there, you're too busy in your work or you're inconsistent in what you do and, or you don't explain and talk and enter their heart. These are all the ways to get kids really, really angry. Smacking can get kids really angry if there's no heart connection and consistent principles of why you're doing this and what it's designed to do. So you have to actually have an explanation. You have to actually have a relationship. So it says, fathers, do not get your kids mad at you or angry or upset and frustrated. Now, one of the problems I've had in teaching is the numbers of young people that are angry. And they're angry because of the, mis- the, the way parents are wrongly parenting them. And, uh, and so we've got to learn what to do. So notice what, now, tell us what to do. So tell us, don't do that. Don't get them mad. Don't get them all angry. Well, they will get angry sometimes when you cross their way. But he's not talking about that here. Bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Or bring them up, bring them up. In other words, it says, you must give direction, dads. You are responsible in the home to give leadership to your family, to train them. That's to prepare them for something in life. And to bring them up in the admonition of the Lord. That means you are warning them, encouraging them, confronting them about God's ways of life. How to succeed in life. Now that's a whole, that uh, I could share a lot on it. We'll just keep it at that point. You, you are called to actually shape and form the young life that they might be useful to God. And to do that, there's certain things are right and certain things are wrong. And you've sometimes got to direct them, which is the right way. To do that, you cannot rely on church to do it. How can one hour on Sunday cope in any kind of, how could you think one hour could possibly in any way override all you did or didn't do through the week? The primary responsibility is the parents. Who is responsible for the parents' education? I challenge you to find anywhere in the Bible it says the government is. Try to find it. But parents, you are responsible for your child's training. That's every aspect character, spiritual life, their relational life, their connections, their education, every part of it, you are responsible. You may not do it all, but you are held responsible to bring them up, and not just any education, but something you're called to train them and bring them up in how to walk in God's ways. Don't think the kids' church can do it for you. Don't think the youth group can do it for you. They can only provide an environment where there's a corporate thing happening, where kids get shown some things, but you've got to do it. 
That's why it said, love the Lord passionately and then talk to your kids daily on the way. Where do you go? Every situation in life. Some good evangelical families have a little family devotion, all very wonderful. But if you don't talk about life with the kids and show how to connect what they're doing to life, you're missing it. Okay, then. So we see there. Very good. So very, very clear. Now, notice this. Parents have authority. You're acting on behalf of God. God told you to do it. The government didn't tell you to do it. God said do this. You are acting as God's representative. You have to remember that. God has given you instructions what to do. He expects you to represent him. So if you mess up and the kids get wrong attitudes to you, they get wrong attitudes to God, you affect the whole eternal destiny. You are the first authority people children see in their life. And if they rebel against you, they're rebelling against God. They have no place in heaven. You have to understand that. And if you do not deal with this issue as they're growing, you are preparing them in ungodliness because you're training them one way or another. We are training our children either towards godliness or towards doing their own thing. And they learn, you know, if they fuss enough, they get their way. If they throw up a tantrum, you'll fuss over them and hug them and, and reward them for their tantrum. Listen, what we're doing is preparing them for an eternity without God. All of us. All of us will come before God and give account of our life. If a child is raised and they learn to rebel against authority, they will already be in a place of rebellion against God and walking under influence of demons. One of the things, I've got a couple of messages on how kids get demonized and the fact that there are, many, there are examples in the Bible of children who are demonized. But here's the problem. If I teach about that, the dilemma is people think all their problems are demon. The problem is not the demon. The problem is the demon got in because parents didn't provide the nurture, admonition, and warning and encouragement children needed. So God's mandate is so very, very clear. You're a person under authority as well as your child. You want them to be under your authority. You must be under authority. We're all under the same one. His name is Jesus Christ, but we have different roles. Ooh, you get required now. God has given you responsibility. You don't have to ask the child's permission to exercise it. But you see, the modern movement of kiddies' rights... Parents end up negotiating with them. Negotiating. But God give me a mandate what to do. Have you reduced a mandate to negotiations? See? What you've done is you've taken and bought into the lie of the world. Parents are parents. Children are children. They're all to be under. We're all to be under the authority of God. But we have different roles. The parent has one role. The children have different roles. The parent's role is to bring him up in the nurture of the Lord. In, in uh, uh, Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. Train him up. Now, that word train means to narrow the way. Well, dear God, what does that do if the child should try everything? See, the common philosophy is, well, give them, let him try things, you know. This is not God's philosophy. God speaks clearly, narrow the way. Don't give them lots of options. Narrow the way. You've been around. You know some things that work and some things that don't work. They don't have to find that all out the hard way. If you want to, be, if you want to grow somewhere, you want to learn from someone who already found out. And so the Bible tells us, narrow their way. See, narrow their way. Confine their way a little bit. It means also to rub the palate. Give them a taste for what's really good. Now love what's good. Get them a taste for the good thing. 
It's a parents. It's, a, it's, a, it's an area. It takes faith and responsibility and courage to be a great parent. And you're not caught. You don't have to have the kids' agreement about it all. Hey, so you are an agent of God to shape the child's heart, not just to try and control their behavior. Many parents are only connected to the behaviors of the child. If the child's out of order or they do something that's naughty, then the parent reacts after a little while. But listen, we have to do more than just stop them behaving badly. We want to actually shape their heart so they have a heart for God. To shape the heart, you've got to communicate. You've got to talk into them. You've got to connect with them. You've got to know what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what they're struggling with. Okay, what does God say to the kids then? Oh, that's really good, see? See, can we get this? Discipline is an issue of honoring God. Discipline and training children is an issue of whether you'll honor God or dishonor Him. When you train and discipline and correct and guide and nurture your children, you are honoring God who gave you the role. When you won't do it or you give it to someone else to do, you dishonor God and disqualify yourself from greater blessing because you haven't functioned well in the one place God put you. Hey, glory to God. Ephesians 6, 1 to 3. Children, here we have your young person. Obey. Oh, oh, quick, underline it. Color it. Obey. 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 Oh, for this is right. See, remember what Abraham has commanded to teach his children to bring them up way which is right. Children obeying their parents is right. Disobeying their parents is wrong. See, and then notice what it says. Children, honor your mother and your father. They go well with you. And you may live long on the earth. Then notice here that there are two things that God wants children to do and to learn. One is obedience and the other is honor or respect. So at least two things a parent must do is teach children how to be obedient, how to be respectful. They need to respect. Now, who they need to respect? They need to respect authority. See? And one of the major issues we have is disrespect for authority. We have to have something different operating in our families. They need to respect you, see? And so uh, notice here that there's a blessing God puts. When a child will position themselves by obeying and honoring their parents, what will happen is God's blessing comes on them. Things go well. Things go well. They don't just go well today and tomorrow. They go well over the course of your life. You look at the life of a child who is obedient and respected authorities and respond and develop his giftings, love God. Their life is a blessed life. You'll see it over the course of their life. The child that does their own thing will be an embarrassment to everyone. So children must learn honor and obedience. Honor means you treat them with respect and esteem because they represent God in your life. You say, well, you don't know my dad. Well, maybe he has got personal lacks and personal flaws. So do you. Uh, That doesn't change the fact God made him your dad and put him in that place. What you're doing is looking at his faults and then excusing your rebellion. I don't have to because look at him. That's not the deal. God says to respect him because of the place he has in, in your life. And you respect him, you'll find yourself respecting God. Obedience means you submit yourself to the authority of another and do what you're told to do. Now, they get this. You do it without delay. Now, when you get children tell them something to do, they, they take a long time to do it, you notice. That's disobedience. And most parents will do this. They'll tell them once, tell them twice, tell them three times. Then they've trained them on a certain note. When the mother's voice reaches a scream and her eyes are bulging and there's veins throbbing, then the child responds. Because they were trained that way. Isn't that wonderful? They were trained that way. You're always going to train your children. You train them either God's way or you train them another way. See? And so obedience, they do it when they're told. They do it without excuse. They do it without challenge. You're right, you're not. Careful. You're on dangerous ground. 
dangerous ground. You're in the ground, you're entering the ground of disobedience. Because, because God doesn't always tell us why, he tells us to do. When we do, we grow in wisdom and knowledge, he shares more with us. That's how life works. That's how God works. But of course, today you've got to reason out, got to win all the reasons, got to even give them a bribe. Listen, that's not character change. What that is training them to do, it's training them to be selfish, that I will go along with things if I want to, that I'll do what I want when I want, if I can manipulate my way there. And they learn to be selfish and manipulate the whole system. So our parents have got to stand in agreement on this issue here. So the implications are very clear. Uh, submission to authority means the child will have to do things they won't want to do. Now, you see, it's all very well to say the child submitted or you're submitted or obedient or whatever if, the, if you're doing things you want to do. But the day you step across and you say you're not to do that and they want to do that, that's when it shows. And that's when you have the, the, the rebellion against authority. That's when you actually find you're dealing with a challenge. And you have to weigh up the challenges. Now, this is not the place today to talk about how to do that. We've got courses that'll help you do that. You know, Kay's got a course. There's courses around that'll help you in various ways of handling. You've got to get the principle right, the core thing, respect and obedience. Now, listen, some of you, when you get out in public, your kids are an embarrassment to you. You bring them here, they're an embarrassment here as well. And it's one simple reason for it. You're irresponsible. Or you just don't know what to do. If you don't know what to do, get into a course and learn what to do. Get someone to help you. But some, some mums, their kids are disobedient, kids are messy, kids are all over the place. They don't even see it. And when you try to point it out, they get very hurt and angry. Well, they're just as rebellious as the kids. Just as rebellious. And so they've just got the fruit of their own way, and they'll be very embarrassed over the course of life. So we need to understand. Now, here's the, here's the hard issue. In, in Luke 6 and verse 43, after, and here's where, the, here's where we come completely different. This is where we part ways with the world. First, we've already started to part ways with how they think anyway. Because they think the kids are the same, equal, they're equal to the parents. God says no. Parents have one, got one responsibility, children got something else. It's quite different. Uh, Luke 6 and verse 43, that's what it says here. Good tree doesn't bear, bear good, uh, a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree is known by its fruit. There we go. Every tree is known by its fruit. Now, here's the thing. Now, here's the belief system that secular people believe. They believe children are morally neutral. Neutral means they're basically just, we're going to take on whatever you teach them. The Bible says something quite different. The Bible says something completely different. You understand, in secular education, their thinking, their belief system is, because they don't believe in a God, their kids are neutral. But the Bible says there's foolishness in their heart. See, that's what the Bible says can be a different thing. It said, and the overflow of the heart is in, in the life, see? So the Bible says this, in Jeremiah 79, the heart is wicked. So children's heart has got wickedness in it. I know, but they look so sweet and so lovely, just lying there. Oh, believe me, selfishness is wrapped up in there. Give the passage of 13 or 14 years and you will see it in its full bloom. Proverbs 22:15. foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from it. So what does God's word say is in that sweet little darling you brought into the world? What is in the heart? Foolishness. Yeah, foolishness. Now, what does it mean by foolishness? Well, the Bible says the fool says no to God. The fool won't receive correction. The fool reacts and goes his own way. So what it's saying is this, saying in every child, there is a nature there of sin that'll call them, cause them to want to do their own thing through life and to challenge anyone who tries to stop them. 
Now, of course, some of them are a little more compliant than others, and some are really out there, strong world. You get the whole range of this with kids, and, you know, if you've got lovely, nice, compliant kids, you can't understand these strong world kids and the nightmares the parents have trying to train them. But uh, believe me, it's still the same. That little quiet child can be quietly, stubbornly rebellious. And you never know until you cross their will, and then it just, you see it. The evils, you know. So... Bible says this foolishness in the heart of every person born into this world. Now, now, this is where we're different. See, we say, the world says they're neutral. It's just all environment. We say, no, there's an issue called sin, and they need a Savior. And we represent the Savior, and we're to help them bring on the right track. And God has given us the authority to do it, the responsibility to do it, and that means we will make them do things they don't always want to do. And, of course, this brings you into huge troubles with the education department. Because they believe different. But the Bible's very clear. Foolishness is in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from them. Notice he's using the word rod. They use the word correction. Correction is correcting them, saying, that's not right, this is right. That is wrong, this is right. You find in the education system, you can't tell the children like Crazy stuff. It's absolute nonsense. Listen, that's right. That's wrong. This is right. Stop doing wrong. You do wrong, they'll be wrong. Bad choice, got bad consequences. So but God always works off choices and consequences, and we have to too. So foolishness means they reject God. They want to be corrected. The fool will reject God. And so the purpose of the rod or the purpose of any kind of restraint and correction, whatever it be, whether it's withdrawal of privileges, whether it's timeout, whether it's eventually spanking or the rod, the purpose is always the same. It's to humble the heart of the child by experiencing pain, make them aware they've messed up, and bring them back into relationship with you so they can actually be positioned for blessing. So if you just allow it to go or you don't deal with it. Now, of course, you, if you just go slapping kids, that, that's not biblical training. You have to understand, it's not biblical training. It's just you being irritated by the child, wanting to control their behavior by hitting them. That is not biblical training. Biblical training always has a correcting element. You touch the heart. You talk to the... So you get a child yelling. You stop yelling. You know, you don't yell. You keep yelling. You know, now listen, that is not biblical training. That's just an angry parent assaulting their child. That's why... You know, and, and lots of Christians do it. And the government really gets upset about this whole issue right through the nation. Listen, if you're going to smack them at any time, the key thing is you've got to talk into the heart. And they must understand what they did and where they went wrong. You're yelling because you want your own way. You're yelling because you're angry. They need to understand what's in the heart. And Jesus' way to deal with the things in the heart. Then they feel some pain. Then they apologize. And then you're reconciled and they can walk in blessing. Works really wonderfully. Now, of course, so what happens is the government or, or the people proposing the law change are trying to equate abuse with smacking. Now, listen, corporal punishment or the rod is totally different from abuse of children. You do it because you love them, because you're concerned about training them. And so you have to do it consistently for the same kinds of things, defiance of authority and the outright rebellion, and you restrain it for almost all other areas. It should be almost your last resort or used only in the situation where there was outright rebellion against your right to rule. If they rebel against your right to rule, either you subdue the rebellion or your household is now under the control of a witchcraft spirit operating through the child. Because rebellion is as witchcraft. Some homes are full of witchcraft because the kids are out of control. And you go in there, there's no peace. 
You can't enjoy fellowship with the parents. You can't enjoy anything in the home because that child is out of control. And there's another spirit. It's not called the spirit of God. It's called a spirit of witchcraft operating there, manipulating the whole household with some little child throwing tantrums and stuff. That's what you've got to train out of them. That's what we're required by God. So when I see the kid out of control, and it's like that all the time, I realize I've also got an adult out of control. Oh, but I love them. Listen, if you love them, you'll discipline them. God does love us, and he disciplines us. You know, very clearly. See, so, so in order to be able to, for the rod to work, you cannot hit anyone in anger. You can't hit your children when you want and how you want. You can't just strike them willy-nilly, give them a bang over the ear. Listen, that's not biblical discipline at all. That's, you don't do it for punishment. It's actually all done totally that you might correct a behavior, of the, a behavior and a heart attitude that are wrong. And God commends us for that. But you've got to do it right. He never endorses us just hitting and slapping kids. Get any idea? Okay, so the core difference. Now, here's, here's the key issues now. One, God called you to be a parent and gave you responsibility and authority. Don't let anyone take it away. Two, you need to discover how to what the responsibilities are and how to fulfill them. Go to a parent course. Or you just carry on the mistakes of your parents. Eh? Three kids need to realize, young people and uh, young adults, we need to realize the requirement God has of us that we uh, have a submitted heart towards those over us and we respond with obedience and respect. You need to understand that. We need to understand that uh, we, if we hit children, hit young people, uh, that is not smacking, that is not biblical correction, that's just frustration acting its way out, and the kids will get angry and upset by that. So what should we do now? Here's the simple thing to finish it. Now, when the government invades the home and takes away a parental right, the first thing you should do is be concerned whether you're fulfilling your parental responsibility. So I think the first thing that would help a lot of Christians right now, instead of jumping up and down about smacking, jump up and down about parents being responsible and understanding their call by God and what they're supposed to do and beginning to accept it and do it. That's the first thing. Second thing is, I think you should raise a voice over the changes because the changes are not good and they'll actually penalize and create many problems for parents which are godly and do use some measure of corporal punishment with their kids. Three, I think you need to uh, pursue your parenting skills. You need to learn how to communicate. A lot of parents don't know how to communicate with the heart of a child. See, one of the best things you can teach them how to do is how to express their feelings, what they feel. See, some kids go, like that. you're just trying to shut that down. Actually, they're going through something. You want to find what's in the heart. Teach them as another way of doing it. You understand? Change the heart. Not just get the behavior so it's nice and you've got a happy home. It's not about you. It's about raising up godly children. Finally, it's your own personal decision what you do about smacking, about corporal punishment. But if you're going to do it, do it, do it the right way. Do it in the right attitude. And understand this. If the government passes a law, you still it's your right as a parent to do it because God said you can. Now, that's a bit of a one, isn't it, eh? But you see, in China, for example, they forbid parents to talk to kids about Christ. So what would you do if you were in that situation? Well, I'd be a lovely, good citizen. Let your kids go to hell. I don't think so. You tell them about Jesus. Now, when you tell your kids about Jesus, you know what will happen in China? If the kids let on that the parents have been talking about Jesus, you'll be arrested, put in jail, and your kids taken off you. Will you still talk to them about Jesus? Well, if you understand that actually it's not all about the kids, it's actually about me fulfilling my responsibility to God, you'll make the stand. And that's where the challenges come, see? If you don't, to have a heart commitment to actually raise our kids so they're great kids for the Lord. They love God, love the house of God, love to serve God, and they've got a great character. Eh? Really good, isn't it, eh? So if you're going to disobey, remember, 
Don't have a truculent attitude against authorities. Have a good attitude. Just, you, we just disagree. Now, the Bible's full of examples of it. Daniel, they said, listen, I know you want us to eat this food. We're not going to eat the food, but can we make some options? Uh, then Peter, they said, look, listen, you can't preach the gospel. He said, listen, we know you said we can't preach the gospel, but God said we're to preach the gospel. We're going to preach the gospel. But if you preach the gospel, you've got to face the consequences. So when they got thrown to jail, beaten up, they just said, praise the Lord. We're counting it honor to suffer for Jesus' sake. So what you do in this area is a personal thing, but I don't think you should make smacking the issue. I think you should make, am I fulfilling my responsibilities as a husband, wife, and parent, make major on the majors, and prepare yourself to be a great parent. Say amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Come on, let's give a lot of claps, shall we? Thank you, Lord. Father, we just pray for our nation. Father, as it goes through these kinds of turmoils and families are all thinking about all these issues, we pray it'll be a great opportunity for your people to come to another level of responsibility in parenting, another level of skills and ability in connecting with young people and working with them. And we pray, Lord, it'll be a great opportunity. Opportunities open for every person here to speak about these issues and to help parents who are struggling and don't even understand that they've got a responsibility, they've got rights, and they've got an authority God gave them and that they need to do the right things. Father, I'm asking that a spirit of boldness will come upon your people, Lord, to be able to talk to others about these matters. In Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. I was at a function recently. John and I went there. Uh, Lindley and, and Mike ran it. They had an opening of their new house. And they had all the tradesmen. And we got a chance to talk to the tradesmen and the lawyers and everyone. I had a great opportunity to talk to one of the lawyers. And here's the thing. He was a good man. He's a family man. But you know what? He really couldn't get over when we started to share some of the things that God had shown us about family and about connecting with your kids and about holding them to account things that took us years to learn. He just went away and said, I never heard so many creative ways of handling some things. So we should be creative, not just slappers and bashers of kids. We should have great ways of doing it. We should take on, oh man, this is a great thing. Great opportunity to let our light shine. If you're part of a culture where abuse is happening and it's covered over, stand up, make your own stand against it. Don't cover it, never cover it. Start to stand up. We've got a great hour ahead of us, eh? Young people want you to be the greatest young people ever. Hey, but you've got, a, you've got a challenge too, to obey and honor your parents. Isn't that a great thing? Why don't you go to home and put it right with them if you haven't been and tell them, oh, I want to be a great young person. Why don't you be proud of me?